0: This is WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with Global Soul. Coming up next, Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. Welcome to Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. This is an hour long interview program dedicated to the visual arts. Each week we interview artists, curators, art writers, and art advocates about their theory, practice, and current projects. We interview artists in studio, on location, in special field notes, as well as at special arts and cultural events around the area. On this week's episode, we'll be playing the third and final panel discussion about public art in Savannah, hosted by Christopher Monroe, that took place over three months to finish off 2019 at the Cultural Arts Center. So let's get started. Here's your host, Rob Hessler. Happy New Year from Art on the Air. This is your host, Rob Hessler. If you're listening to this episode live, it is New Year's Day, 3 o'clock. Our live show is 3 to 4 every Wednesday on WRUU. Got a great episode lined up for you. We're airing the edited version of the third and final panel discussion about public art put together by Christopher Monroe from the Cultural Arts Center. Great panelists this time. And I want to mention that they spoke a lot about slides that they were showing during the panel discussion. So I was a little creative with that. I left them in there. And I think you'll be able to understand what's going on without even having to look at the images because they really talk about the philosophies behind them. So you'll hear from Stephanie Rain. She talks about four pianos that they put in the city that she lives in. Aaron Wessling, she talks about Masterpiece. It's sort of a mural made out of moss that was on the Judge Realty building. I think you'll be able to get a really easy sense of what's going on there. She also talks about the A-Town get down, which we all know about. And then lastly, Jerome Meadows goes into detail about two of his projects, including the Ed Johnson Memorial in Chattanooga. And it is such an interesting story that he tells about that. And I think you're really going to enjoy the story, the history, all of that, and how he kind of put together this massive public art project. But look, don't have a lot of time to chit-chat on today's episode because it is jam-packed. Wanted to mention, if you missed one of the first two panel discussions, you can find those in the WRU archives at Do Savannah, iTunes, Spotify, all those places. And I wanted to mention that next week, we're going to have a very special episode, the Bobby Perry Awards for 2019, the best of the best in Savannah art. I think you're going to really enjoy that. So let's get started with this week's episode here is part three of the discussion series about public art in Savannah hosted by Christopher Monroe Enjoy
1: I really appreciate you all coming out for this final of the public art lecture series. We're going to have a, a QA at the end so if you all have any interesting questions or comments at the end we'll have we'll have time for that. I'm going to introduce our, our panel and then we're gonna dive into sort of the conversation. So hopefully we can keep this kind of snappy though, but, if you, but we, do, we are gonna have a, a Q&A at the end if, if anybody has comments or questions or anything like that. Um, and I do really wanna say thank you to all my panelists for, for agreeing to do this, you guys are awesome. And I'm really excited about this conversation. So first of all, to my left here is Jerome Meadows, which most of you probably know. Jerome B. Meadows uh, is a full-time studio artist working and residing in a historic ice house in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, Originally from New York City, he's been living in Savannah since 1997. A graduate with a BFA degree from the Rhode Island School of Design and an MFA from the University of Maryland, Mr. Meadows has been self-employed as a visual artist and public space designer since 1992. His focus in the arts has been in the design and fabrication of large-scale public art projects, including site layout, landscape issues, along with the conceptualization and fabrication of sculptural components all fully integrated into a cohesive whole. These projects are located throughout the United States, including here in Savannah. Uh, Mr. Meadows' sculptural work for the Portsmouth, New Hampshire African Burying Ground was awarded a 2013 Any Artworks Grant for, quote, The Creation of Art That Meets the Highest Standards of Excellence. We will be talking about that tonight. Uh, Mr. Meadows' poetry, dance, and mixed media performance event, Blank Page Poetry, Words and Shadows, was presented in Charleston, South Carolina this past October. That's right, right, this past October? A year ago. A year ago. Uh, Funded in part through an NEA Big Read grant provided to the city. In 2010, Mr. Meadows was a recipient of a Brown Foundation Residency Fellowship at the Dora Mar House in Minerve, France, along with the noted educator and poet Cleopatra Mathis and Rachel Stella, art critic, scholar, and the daughter of famed artist Frank Stella. The Brown Foundation program is is directed through the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston. In addition, he was commissioned in 2009 to undertake a precedent-setting exhibition at Telfair Museums entitled Reframing a Perceptual Paradigm. The exhibition, like others taking place at the cooper Hewitt National Design Museum in New York City and the Gibbs Museum in Charleston, South Carolina, afforded Mr. Meadows the opportunity to function as both artist and curator in selecting over 130 works from the museum's collection and juxtaposing them in a multi-gallery installation along with his own original artworks, serving both as commentary and counterpoint to how people perceive art and experience museums. His academic background includes teaching positions and residencies at the University of Maryland College Park, uh, Howard University, the College of Charleston, Maryland Institute College of Art, and a year-long Fulbright Lecture Award to the National College of Art in Lahore, Pakistan, to name a few. He was also the recipient of a Fulbright-Hayes study tour in Pakistan, traveling throughout the country with other educators and artists while studying traditional crafts and processes. So welcome to Jerome, and thank you again for coming.
2: Where do I find the
1: time? Where do you find the time? We'll talk about that, too. Um, And to Jerome's left is Stephanie Rains. Stephanie is an arts administrator and artist advocate based in Athens, Georgia. (laughs) She has degrees in photography, art history, and an MA in arts administration from the Savannah College of Art and Design. In the summer of 2019, she became the arts division administrator for the leisure services department of the Athens-Clarke County United Government a unified government in Athens, Georgia. And she came today to, from Athens to be here. The Arts Division provides visual and performing arts programming at the Linden House Art Center, the Athens Athens Creative Theater, the East Athens Educational Dance Center, and the Historic Morton Theater. She is also the city liaison to the Athens Cultural Affairs Commission for Public Art. In 2017, Stephanie co-founded the Hestia Arts Residency, a small travel-focused artist residency program with short-term fully funded residencies that provide emerging artists personalized professional development consulting and opportunities to engage with local communities. In 2016, while working at Telfair museums, she launched the Art 912 initiative, a program dedicated to raising the visibility and increasing the vitality of artists living and working in Savannah through exhibition opportunities and programming. ART 912 continues to represent the vibrant community, the vibrant contemporary art community in Savannah through social media engagement and community advocacy. Thank you, Stephanie, for being here as well. And last but not least, on the end here, so far away, is Aaron Wessling. Aaron, Aaron is the CEO and founder of W Projects. For over a decade, Aaron has worked in marketing, PR, and events both in Savannah, Georgia, and on an international level. She has produced some of the premier events in Savannah, including Savannah's Night Out and the A-Town Get Down Festival. With her company, W Projects, she has also produced site activations and public art installations throughout the city, including pavement to parks for CNU 26 Savannah and several judge-release public art installations, including Masterpiece, Savannah's first eco-friendly moss installation, we will be talking about that, and Intersection, a light, in, a light projection installation by Will Penny, which we'll also be talking about. Uh, she works with Telfair museums each year to produce the interactive event Designing the Future for Pulse Art and Technology Festival. W Projects was born out of her love of finding and cultivating emerging creatives in the low country of Savannah, Georgia. Erin's <laughs> passion to help creative individuals and companies reach their full potential and success drove her to expand her freelance business into a full service firm in January 2015. With 10 years of experience in public relations, marketing, and branding worldwide, Erin brings a unique perspective and understanding of how to creatively connect clients' visions to the public. Thank you, Erin, and thank you all for being here. I'm really proud <laughs> So we've got um, some, some slides I'm gonna show, and I, I believe, Stephanie, these first ones are yours. So if you want to explain a little bit about each of these that we're seeing.
3: Sure. I'm sure y'all might have seen this. I have a lot of cities where you have like a piano out in public that people can play. So we just um, have four pianos that the ACAC, the Cultural Affairs Commission, of Jeffs put together. But um, what I wanted to share was that the Cultural Affairs Commission decided to partner with two other local nonprofit organizations. And I feel like that was really kind of where the magic happened. So you get four pianos. They have to be tuned. They have to be primed, uh, like sanded and primed so that artists can paint on them. And they, pianos are not small. Like you can't just drop that off at an artist studio and hope for the best. Like, so. That's a bad idea. Yeah. So we actually asked the Athens, oh, let's see, AAAC, Athens Area Arts Council to help us identify artists who, who had not had a lot of public art in Athens. So they helped us connect with four, actually <laughs> four women artists. And then the Habitat for Humanity, which is in, just off of downtown Athens, has a nice big space. They offered to host the four pianos um, at their sites. So we had all the pianos were donated for private donors within the community. They were delivered to the Habitat for Humanity. And the artists were able to come during open hours, which Habitat's open seven days a week, and paint and work on their pianos. And while they were painting them, people who were dropping off and picking up and shopping, it's kind of like a little, it's a very active Habitat for Humanity store. People got to come in and talk to the artist and watch them work. and. Then when the pianos were completed, the Habitat hosted, we hosted a reception, we had all the four pianos set up in a little sort of you know, semi-circle. The Habitat oriented all of the furniture that they had for sale, so it was all facing one way. So That's we awesome. invited uh, children. So the woman who um, put this project together for the Cultural Affairs is a, accomplished pianist, and she teaches um, classical music at the University of Georgia. So she invited young students. She invited people who were working on their graduate's degree in classical performance from UGA. They all performed. We had duets at the end. They had four pianists playing ragtime tunes on That's all four pianos great, exactly. at once. Everyone was like, it was like little kids, moms, dads, grandkids, all these other, like all the artist hipsters were in there. Everyone's sitting on the furniture, all together on sofas and like recliners, all together in the habitat. It was a really fun night. We had like 250 people hanging out in the habitat, listening to people play piano. And then that really helped talk about what these pianos can mean when they go out into the world. We talked about, there was one at the Council Council for the Aging, one at the public library. We put one on the covered tennis courts at Bishop Park, uh, which is also where they have the uh, farmer's market in Athens. And the fourth, fourth one has gone to one of the high schools in town. And I have to say, this is at the public library. I go to the public library in Athens least once a week and so far since the piano's been out there every single time I go to the library someone's playing the piano (laughs) this woman just walked up and started playing a duet with her son right as I was walking in and when I came out someone else was playing the piano when I left so I just feel like the the sort of even the preparation of the pianos and the execution of putting them together even that was public art even that was an experience that we all got to have together that was really meaningful and helped really launch them um, with a lot of love and energy out into the community.
1: That's, I mean, I love that example too because it's a community connector in a lot of ways too. That, that, that's, that's super awesome. Oh, now we're not.
0: You're listening to Art on the Air's special presentation of the Public Arts Panel discussion from the New Cultural Arts Center on WRUU LP Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings, Community Radio with Global Soul. Now back to the talk
1: okay yep. so now we're to
0: uh aaron do you want to explain what we're seeing
1: this one
4: was a masterpiece um goes down as probably one of my bucket list <M-O-S-S-3> projects S- of all time masterpiece.
1: Um,
4: and so this actually um judge realty was celebrating their 10-year anniversary and Lori wanted to do um, uh, another um, piece of public art on her building. And I do have to uh, emphasize that Lori was really um, sort of the the first sort of soldier of public art to be placed on um, uh, private property for use of public art within uh, Savannah, Georgia, particularly of this scale. Particularly this time, Particularly of, you know, kind of an offshoot of what we had defined as public art here in Savannah, which really just focused on murals, this started to break the boundaries of what public art actually is. Um, so, and yeah, explain what this is. So, this is
1: 100%, 100%. Moss. Um,
4: basically, because Judge Realty is very large and supportive in, um, you know, eco-friendly, um, or the commitment, I guess I should say, to, to being eco-friendly, and it was the 10-year anniversary. Um, we tried to choose the most eco-friendly form of public art, and I had heard of um, moss murals years before. Um, nothing on this scale, though, or if it was, it was you know done by a company that's five times um, the size in, in much larger cities. Uh, and so we had we put out an RFP, and um, Jamie Bourgeois, am I seeing her name right? Yes, um, won the design, and proceeded over the course of a week to place in moss. That was interesting to find because Savannah is, you know, very
1: mossy. Mossy, yes. <laughs>
4: Uh, We couldn't actually forage for the amount that we needed, and so a ton of research was done. And this is all live moss. This is all live moss. It's actually
1: growing, or it could be growing. Yes. But it didn't damage the structure.
4: Technically, no, no, because it was adhered with um, organic yogurt. Um, And so we we definitely, this was such a labor of love and very experimental because we really had no idea what we were doing and the amount of research behind what mosses work in the South and, you know, obviously uh, the facade is, you know, very subject to quite a bit of sun throughout the day and Moss, although it doesn't die, it does go dormant. And what does that mean when it goes dormant? Some of it turns, you know, this reddish color, others kind of get, get bleached, but what mosses actually work? And so, yeah, this, this was um, such an incredible feat as far as what Jamie was able to design and accomplish. And yes, it did not um, impair the facade in any way, shape or form, and really just needed the power wash after. But it was the very first eco-friendly public Just one art. more
1: view of that. It was really awesome. I loved it.
4: In Savannah, Georgia. If, if not the region, I'd say.
1: So this is A-Town.
4: A-Town Get Down. Um, so A-Town Get Down Music Festival is an annual arts and music festival, hopefully that you all know about and attend every year. Um, so it, it, essentially, um, when I came on board with the foundation, um, all of a took place at the Morris Center, and uh, the year I started, which was 2016, it was um, so many attendees came that it was one in, one out, and we basically outgrew the space. And so my task um, for 2017 was to find a space that we could not only expand, but essentially you know, find something that we could create a creative space in. Um, and so because Alex Townsend, who was the son of the Townsends, absolutely loved the bridge, we went in that direction, and quite serendipitously um, fell upon uh, Indian Street um, where uh, SCAD not only has a few buildings, but it was at the time um, not developed and had several park or large What were parking spaces or parking areas um, that were dilapidated, to say the very least? Uh, And so we took it upon ourselves to temporarily create um, a festival ground. Uh, And what you're seeing here is another project that we did with Will Penny, which I believe this was the 2018. Um, where uh, what you're seeing is uh, the stage sort of backed up to this wall mm-hmm. um, and we were able to project an entire you know, block, if you will, um, of a light installation that overlooked, uh, overlooked the bridge.
1: Yeah, that was awesome.
4: And then he, he'd actually done it, um, the same thing uh, on one of those ghosted um, concrete posts. Oh, yeah uh the year before which was incredible um by the amount of of projection mapping that had to take place in that
1: i love the idea of like uh projections and projection mapping because it doesn't affect the the surface that you're projecting on so
4: right which which to kind of come to uh, more of how the city works is that it's very difficult i mean with uh, what we did um, at Judge Realty with that building itself, we actually had to claim um, Judge Realty's building as an official location for rotating public art uh, that, you know, enabled it over the years to infiltrate not only the building, uh, but be able to work it in ways that it would not impair the, the, the structure, but we could bring in things that were not just mural related right. um, and more of a, a structural base. Um, but yes, with light projection and, and, and mapping, um, it is easier to um, maybe get approval or, or kind of cross some of those um, public art boundaries. I should also say, I am on
1: the Historic Site Monument Commission, which is the approving body of public art. And I was actually involved in going over some of these projects. And this is actually one of them.
4: Um, again much like with historic districts, you have to work with them in order to create a narrative that may or may not exist at that time. And so I think with a lot of the projects that that we've taken on, it it may not have been done here in Savannah before. And so you have to work with a lot of those ordinances and regulations on making it work. Um, The city of Savannah is incredibly open to it Um, but I guess it's an education process that we have
1: to go through Mm -hmm. together. Uh, Jerome, you're up. Jerome has, these are interesting because there's some process photos in here, so explain to us a little bit about what we are in here.
2: All right, first of all, thanks for everyone coming out. Um, It's great to see such a turnout for something as important as public art. Where would we be without it, okay? So. I've included two projects. This is uh, the Ed Johnson Memorial in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm currently neck deep in it. I don't know why I'm here, and not in my studio. Anyway, um, just to give you some brief context, in 1906, uh, a young African-American male was falsely accused of molesting a young white girl, Nevada Taylor. At that time in Chattanooga, as throughout most of the South and the US, uh, mob mentality prevailed. Ed Johnson was identified wrongly as the uh, perpetrator, the perp, as they say. And the mob immediately wanted to lynch Ed Johnson. Uh, Ed Johnson was then given a trial, which was a mock trial. Uh, For example, there were 12 people, 12 witnesses, at the trial who said Ed Johnson could not have committed this offense because he was with them at the Last Chance Saloon uh, the night of the attack. Anyway, the mob was uh, insistent. Uh, So Ed Johnson's father, whose name was Skinbone, as you can imagine, was livid. And at Witt's Inn, he approached two black lawyers in Chattanooga and asked, if they could try to help his son. They agreed to do so. Uh, their names were Styles Hutchins and Noah Parton, and they were so emboldened by this effort that one of them went to the Supreme Court. So this, this lynching, one of 4,000 that happened in the United States that we know of, uh, this case of Ed Johnson is important, not only because of the injustice, because Ed Johnson was eventually Taken from the jail, walked up to the Walnut Street Bridge, and lynched. Uh, But it was the first time that um, the Supreme Court agreed to hear a case involving states' rights. In other words, if you're a citizen of the United States, states' rights should not trump (laughs) uh, federal law. So they basically told the sheriff to hold Ed Johnson as a uh, ward of the federal government until they could hear the case. The mob wasn't having it, they grabbed Ed Johnson and they lynched him from the Walnut Street Bridge. That was in 1906. Um, all truths will out and eventually the city of Chattanooga realized that this was a story that had been neglected for too long and they put out an RFQ. I caught wind of it. I was shortlisted as one of three teams Um, I put together a team of local uh, artists, landscape architects, and this was our proposal (coughs) which won the commission. So the first design approach was how to, because the memorial, as you can see, is right next to the bridge. As a designer, as a sculptor, um, and dealing with issues that have to do with uh, stories needing to be told, I'm always thinking, how are things best integrated? The last thing you want is, if you've heard the term, plot art, where all of a sudden people show up the next morning and there's a piece of artwork there. Where did that come from? So in this case, uh, to make sure that this memorial was well suited for its location, I drew a line from the Point on the Bridge where Ed Johnson was lynched, through the memorial site. And so that axis through the memorial is that line, and those three ovals you see within that central circle is Ed Johnson and the two lawyers. So Ed Johnson (coughs) is finally walking away from that travesty. Mm. His back is to the point on the bridge where he was lynched. How do you tell the story? Okay, public art is not just about decoration. It's not just about entertainment, there is a very profoundly important role that public art can play. And when it has to do with truths that have been buried for so long, you want to give that storytelling all that you can. So my design team and I came up with the circular motif, um, because circles tend to be more about healing. And as a designer, I don't really like straight lines. (laughs) Um, so I prefer curves and things of that nature. Those bands that you see on the pavement level are quotations from local individuals that were that we selected to include, and one of them I found to be profoundly important, and I have yet to meet the woman who provided this quote, but the Pope says, I wasn't there to care then, but I am here to care now. And that just knocked me off my feet. I mean, because we have so much anger and guilt regarding slavery and, and racism and all of these things. And what this woman was saying was it's not a matter of dwelling in what happened then because we weren't there then. The question is we're here now. What can we do to make sure these things don't happen? So this takes you into the memorial, and there we have the three figures, Ed Johnson and the two lawyers, cast in bronze, they will be uh, life-size, so that you can actually go up to Ed Johnson, and his hand is extended forward. You can take his hand and let him know that we are with him finally after 112 years. And this was part of the presentation in terms of uh, what we presented to the committee, to make our case that our uh, proposal
1: was the best. Clearly they agreed. Yeah. Clearly they agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think this is an also an awesome example. You already said it, of, of how powerful public art can be and, and yes. it, the stories that it can tell. So three
2: other individuals were uh, lynched in Chattanooga during this uh, time period. Another one was lynched on the Walnut Street Bridge. So there's a slope going down to the river, and these three abstract forms are in honor of those three other individuals. And so what I like to do as a designer is to bring in a variety of different design types, uh, design elements. Some are easily recognizable, and others are going to make you wonder, well, what is that supposed to be? Um, In other words, how vast? can we expose people to the variety of what public art and what sculpture is all about
0: you're listening to art on the airs special presentation of the public arts panel discussion from the new cultural arts center on wruulp savannah georgia 107.5 fm WRUU.org. we are savannah soundings community radio with global soul We've got to take a quick break for a couple of messages, but we'll be right back with more of the talk. Telfair Museums will present the 25th annual I Have Marks to Make exhibit, featuring works by individuals of diverse ages, backgrounds, and abilities. The exhibit will be on display at the Telfair's Jepson Center for the Arts from December 8th through January 12th.
3: More information is available at Telfair.org.
0: WRUU 107.5 FM is a new and different listener-supported and all-volunteer community radio station for Savannah. Our diverse broadcast and web programming is supported by generous listeners who value our passion and our spunk. We're independent of other media and receive no government or large corporate support. People like you are the largest and most important source of our funding, so go to WRUU.org to find out how you can make a one-time or monthly contribution. Thank you. So
2: the other project, the um, second one, is in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. This is the Portsmouth African Burying
1: Ground Project. Actually, real quick, can you tell close what that is and why, how it came to be? Well, the project,
2: I was commissioned in 2013. The project was finished in 2015. About five years prior to that, a city crew was working on Chestnut Street to repair a sewer line. And so they're digging, and all of a sudden, clank, they hit something. And when they look down in the hole, there's this beautiful baby blue sewer line running across the feet of coffins. Okay. Which means that the first crew put those Sunlight in there. built on top of it. Saw the coffins there. Looked at the watch and said, "Oh, fellas, we need to finish this up. So let's just build the hole back up and go on about our business." I think this project represents the higher and the lowest of our nature, because that group that did that in the first place basically totally disregarded and ignored the fact that there were people buried there. The second time around, the gentleman stopped and said, "Whoa." we cannot go any further, we need to report this. And just as, a sh- as an aside, about three years ago I'm in uh, Portsmouth and I finally get to meet the gentleman who made that decision because I was always wanting to meet this person who said it's more important that we acknowledge this truth and this disrespect than continue That's to crazy. do our work. So I was finally able to shake this man's hand it was a Wonderful personal moment. But anyway, um, what was interesting was uh, I was shocked with respect to the degree to which slavery, uh, Portsmouth, was a major slave trading port. Okay, We normally think about the South and such. What was also shocking was the degree to which the residents of Portsmouth were surprised (laughs) that Portsmouth was such a major slave trading port. It was never taught in the schools. They were basically given what we're all given. Oh, yeah, that's a Southern thing. So they were shocked when they realized that there were at least 200 people dating back to 1645 buried underneath Chestnut Street. To their credit, rather than pushing back against that, they realized this is something that we need to um, give ourselves to correcting. And so they raised... $1.2 $1.2 million for the Portsmouth African Burying Ground Project. Savannah so could learn some lessons from that. Oh, own. let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> because they <laughs> raised that, raise that money within about three years, uh, compared to a project here in Savannah that I'm involved with that took 10 years to create. And I don't have slides of it because it's an embarrassment. The city has not maintained it. I go to Portsmouth, and if I'm sitting at a sidewalk cafe, people are coming up to me, grabbing my hands, pulling me into them, hugging me, and saying, what a wonderful thing you did for our city. Public art. There's the value of public art. Savannah can learn a
1: lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty intense.
2: <laughs> public art.
1: <laughs> so, But I mean, I think that. Uh, We've sort of gone over examples of pretty wide array of examples of public art and how they can either beautify or tell the story. I just wanted to throw this out to maybe each of you. Could you talk about maybe a little bit about some of the difficulties that you've had producing projects and maybe how you got past those and how that could inform maybe some projects that we could hopefully be doing here in Savannah? I don't know if you want to talk about the Yamacraw project. That was, that was um, one that you were mentioning. I don't know if we want to wait too much into that, but. Sure. <laughs> um, in
2: 1997, um, I was commissioned to create the Yamacraw Public Art Project, uh, so named because it is in the Yamacraw area of Savannah where the Yamacraw had their, the native people had their headquarters. Uh, But it was also to commemorate the uh, African-American legacy that existed along um, West Broad Street, um, which used to be a a major uh, black uh, economic area. Uh, It's in front of First Bryan Baptist Church, which is reputed to be the oldest black Baptist church in the United States. It's certainly the longest held property by African-Americans in the United States. So I was, besides myself, with excitement about this project. And for the first uh, couple of months, everything seemed to be going quite well in terms of community turnout and in, in, in investment. Uh, it was budgeted at $300,000. Uh, long, slow than a story short, <laughs> it ended up taking 10 years to create this project. And as I say, at this point, I would be embarrassed to take anyone to it, because the city has not, it's fallen into disrepair, it's fallen into disrepair. So why is that? Uh, If I knew the answer to that, probably I'd be sitting here telling you a very different story. But essentially, it means that if you don't have um, a sustainable investment of interest from day one it's going to take 10 years Mm -hmm. and that 10 years pretty much represents that you're sort of working on you know in a very anemic way because the interest is not really there so once it's finished there's not enough interest to sustain maintenance fortunately I had other projects going on at the same time so my livelihood was not affected and I found the wonderful marvelous historic ice house over on the east side which I
1: bought so I've got this love-hate relationship with Savannah, George. but I mean maintenance and, and maintenance and stewardship is one of the things. I mean, I will say I know from being on the Historic Site Monument Commission, there is now part of the process is that there is there is required to be a plan for maintenance and an escrow account and that sort of thing. And I think that was that came after your project went. But we, we should also say it's not beyond fixing, right?
2: Oh, it's not beyond fixing. I, I put together a proposal um, about $100,000 worth of um, repairs and escrow, and the city council approved it, but they wouldn't put any money to it. So that proposal. These things take money. That proposal is waiting for funding, <laughs> which is ridiculous to me, but what can I say? Hope what Springs Eternal. Hope springs eternal. Um, But I will say this, you know, and I don't don't want to hog the mic. Um, The problem that I've been facing is, you know, as a designer, as an artist, you get so emotionally involved with the piece that after a while, the frustration is no longer tolerable. You can no longer tolerate, yes, 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 we're going to do it, only to find out that it's not going to happen. And that happens year after year after year. So hopefully
1: at some point, the Yamacor project will it's renewed glory I mean I think it's an important point to to make and I mean I've I've actually written about it as well and I think it's an important thing for the city to consider we really only have a few more minutes but I was gonna just maybe I'll just throw out to you all three of you uh, maybe Aaron you want to take this uh, first are there any projects that you would like to see happen in Savannah that haven't happened or any ideas on that The answer is yes,
4: Um, and in the interest of saving time, um, there are a ton of, you know, very large-scale, beautiful installations that actually travel internationally that would be so incredible to get to the city of Savannah. Unfortunately, we we just have this block as far as living in a city that doesn't have a, a stable support from the city, both financially and just more production wise, uh, to produce public art. I mean, the majority of it, if not all of it, is produced through uh, private means and businesses. And when you don't have that mash uh, between sort of the, the private sector and, and what the city is capable of doing, you are highly restricted. And so there are incredible pieces that garner international attention when cities bring them to uh, their their own towns and actually um, integrate it with programs that you know help uh, artists on a local level or you know you see production in in collaborations we unfortunately are just not there yet and so it's one of those things that like i was saying earlier it's an education process that we do together, and, and they're very open-minded, but I think until there is that actual financial support, um, so that these larger you know, investments, as, as public art takes, and drum and is a, a perfect example, it takes the funding. And yeah. if you don't have that, that nest egg, then unfortunately it takes I mean,
1: that is something that we talked about la- uh, on um, the last panel, is the need for, for instance, a master plan and a funding mechanism. Stephanie, yeah, you have
3: Yeah, I just want to say on, on that, it's also advocacy. Like, the public, this art is for you, and you can ask for it. You can ask your elected officials, and you can organize yourselves, and you can support uh, contemporary artists and curators and people who are putting these works together, and you can show up and volunteer, and you can you know, ask for these things and organize them yourselves. Like, we we have opportunities for all of us to be together in public spaces, experiencing art and being with each other and having meaningful experiences outside. Like, it doesn't have to all be a permanent installation that goes on forever. It's There's lots of different ways to approach it. And so when you have things that are ongoing, we can build in the funding and the plan to maintain it so that we can always preserve it. And then we can also create spaces where we can have Know, ephemeral projections or things that are come and go because sometimes you love something because you only you know you only get to love it for just a little while and it's special because yeah. you got to be there together so like those are opportunities that we can all create together and we can all you know continue to ask for those things be that's an that.
1: awesome point point. one of the things that, and again we don't really have too much time but one of the other things i was going to bring up is the idea of collaboration which you all also sort of touched on do you have ideas on that i was one of the things I was thinking about is the idea of regional <laughs> collaboration because Savannah is kind of a smaller city, and the idea of collaborating with Athens or Chattanooga. We had a, um, the public art director from Chattanooga in our last panel. And just the idea that they, they can inform each other and also be a support mechanism for each other. Do you have thoughts on that? Yes. <laughs> Do tell.
4: Um, I Especially, I think, um, because I, I still sort of believe that, that we are still in an infant stage of um, the production of public art on a large scale in the city. I think it would be incredible, you know, an investment of, of Georgia itself to combine with other cities and, and, and produce things in a way that creates that connection. Because then you obviously, be, from exposure to funding to, to support, um, that interlocking way of, of of producing just, you know, it's a ripple effect, essentially. And I think that especially with towns like this, um, if we partner with it, again, we sort of learn and understand how to produce
3: them ourselves and kind of take that knowledge and, and, and run with it. I think education is an important part of that. So mm-hmm. educating people, like coming to having hosting talks like this um, and people attending them, and then also... Encouraging folks to go out and experience public art in other cities, and demonstrate how that you know how that impacted your visit to that place, and how that could be something for meaningful about living here and people who come and visit this city. Um, and there's also just opportunities for networking among within the region, within yeah, the state, um, to come around and, and uh, share with one another and host different artists in different ways.
1: Jerome, do you have any ideas on what you'd like to see in Savannah, or do you <laughs> Yes, <laughs> Do so. we're going to have audience questions after this, but I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on that.
2: Um, I, I always talk about the, the idea of reaching a critical mass because the fact that everybody is here says that there are people whose energies and whose uh, projections of what Savannah can be um, is positive and proactive and, and um, uh, goes beyond the limitations that we're faced with. Uh, The question is, how do we keep that energy going and bring in others so that we reach that critical mass where it sparks? And for the last several years, I've been saying, well, I think we're almost there. I think we're almost there. Um, But there's something, and I, I kid you not, when I first came to Savannah and I was wondering why things were going so slowly, people would say, well, it's in the water. I'm not sure what they mean. Like, island time or something? (laughs) Well, it's just something about, yeah, maybe it's the island time, maybe it's the, you know, don't have a cow, man, just chill. (laughs) Just go to the bar, that's more important, and do another thing. I don't know what it is, but when the critical mass gets to that point, where it's almost ready to spark, something
1: diffuses it. The perpetual tipping point. Yes,
2: so I I would put a question to To you you all. How the hell do we get of that?
1: Something needs to tip.
2: Yes, <clears throat> I mean because you know, just briefly, and I don't want to sound like you know I'm the the poster child for for public art failures in Savannah, but the, the city the city in two thousand thirteen commissioned me to do what I thought was this major breakthrough. I was commissioned to create the first abstract piece of public art for Savannah, Georgia wow, that piece has been sitting in storage in my studio since 2013. Now, every so often I run into a city official who says, okay, And in fact, there was a newspaper article that said, finally, this piece of sculpture will be installed by the end of 2019. It's supposed to go in Savannah Gardens. Savannah Gardens, which is this wonderful um, housing Mercy Housing has <laughs> permitted the space over on the east side. Anyway, so I run into, uh, I'm not going to mention names, I yeah, run into a person who, uh, <laughs> who would know these things at, uh, can I say Huey's, where I have breakfast? <laughs> anyway, I ran into him at Huey's and he says, good news, probably in three more months. <laughs> there you go, critical mass diffusing, critical mass diffusing. So again, I don't like being the poster child for public art failures in the city, but there is something going on here, and we need to do something about. it. I mean,
1: they're important points to make because they're legitimate points, and I, I don't, you know, we don't want to be overly critical, but the, but, the, but these are legitimate issues that you have had yes. as a public artist, as a internationally known public artist who has had success in other cities without these issues. So we'll leave it at
0: that. <laughs> You're listening to Art on the Air's special presentation of the Public Arts Panel Discussion from the new Cultural Arts Center on WRUU-LP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with Global Soul. Now back to the talk.
1: We do have a microphone, we are recording this. So if anyone has questions or comments,
0: uh, hey y'all! Thank you all for being here. Um, I wanted to ask. This is actually really for Jerome. You mentioned you know you have this incredible project going up in Chattanooga, and the public art director for Chattanooga was here at the last mm-hmm. talk. And I just have to wonder, you know, in dealing with city officials on like these projects in a place like that versus a place like Savannah, what is the difference there? Because you're asking like how, how you know, how do we get over that? Well. My question is, what do we need? Because I think that the people of Savannah are all about it. I mean, this this room is pretty full here, and I noticed that there was a couple of elected officials here earlier too, as well. So thank thank them for coming out. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for really for coming out. So like, what is the difference like in dealing with those people? Because I will say whatever needs to be said to them. I'm not afraid to, to go up there and tell them what needs calm to be down. said. I'm not going to calm down. But, yeah, so that's kind of my question. And, and maybe, Stephanie, maybe you've had some of that experience, too. I know, Aaron, you're doing a lot of stuff where you deal with the city, but you're getting private funding for those projects. So, like, the city isn't really being supportive in that sense. You're just filling out the paperwork that is required to do those projects. But I'm just sort of curious is, like, how do you get those – like, why are those people saying yes? We want to invest all this money in this incredible project versus people here in Savannah saying, "Oh yeah, we can do that," but then never really doing it. I guess it's
2: maybe fear that seems to reign here. Um, when i dealing with people in in Portsmouth and in Chattanooga, there was more of a fearlessness. It's that they said, uh, "Public art is valuable, and we shouldn't be afraid of it." You know, and. Um, You should not feel as if it will, um, and this may sound strange, misrepresent the city. Uh, I don't know if it's the degree of history and tourism, if I may touch that bugaboo. (laughs) But imagine that if in the middle of each square there was a piece of contemporary art, okay? Imagine that the Almacar project was what it should be, and people could go there and see that. It talks about African-American and Native American history. Imagine if uh, of uh, Savannah Gardens was in place. The process of getting Savannah Gardens approved was fear-driven. Worst case scenarios: what if a plane crashes into the sculpture? I kid you not. Are you serious? Did that really I kid you (laughs) not. And I started to say, what if a plane crashed into the guy in the middle of Forsyth Park? He's higher. (laughs) He's more likely to catch the plane. (laughs) But it's that degree of fear that says, oh, my God, we can't rock the boat. So I don't know if it's a matter of, you know, we speak about uh, 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 voted uh, elected officials The folks in Chattanooga who are in those positions of saying yes are more fearless when it comes to these things. And the other thing about Chattanooga is there's some deep pockets in two foundations which get their money from the Coca-Cola. So there's private foundation money that is believing in public art, is fearless about supporting public art, and that's not here in Savannah,
3: so. I can speak a little bit about how we fund art um, in Athens through the um, Athens Cultural Affairs Commission. So they have, um, it, it's founded with, it started with a small nonprofit, the Athens Area Arts Council m- became the um, a commission that's uh, through the mayor and city hall. So they have uh, funding, they have an operating budget that's uh, integrated part of the Athens-Clarke County Unified Government budget every year. They have allocate money. It's, I think, $20,000 a year to operating funds. We also have a lost tax, which um, they vote on every so often, so that's a penny sales tax. So Athens-Clarke County, smallest county in Georgia, University of Georgia, biggest landowner, number one employer, can't tax anything. Because they um, tax rate the state of Georgia, then you got hospitals, churches, and any other nonprofit can't tax them either. So that leaves the entire tax burden on businesses and homeowners. So in order to, but we have all these huge student population. Our football stadium seats ninety three thousand people for every sold out game on a Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. Throughout football season, all of these people come into town. So that special option sales tax, a portion of that comes to public art. It goes to a number of different projects. Public art is one of them. So that helps fund. Also, they have a Capital cib it's a capital improvements plan. Some of those capital like construction projects, also a small percentage of that is also set aside. And those go to uh, both public art projects as well as um, uh, trails, open spaces, um, all kinds of public improvement things that improve the life of all the people who live in Athens-Clarke County. So those are some of the the ways that, um, and the Athens Cultural Affairs Commission has only been in since I think officially operating since about 2010, 2011. And we're still using funds from the lost vote in 2011. We're still seeing those projects play out. They did like uh, 18 finished bus shelters this year. All local artists who all received, they all got paid, local fabricators. Like this is money from Athens, staying in Athens to artists, and they continue to advocate for that. And that's something that I've been working on in my new role is talking about what it is to create a vital economy that serves artists and the arts community and also is good for the public. So. These are all things that are possible, and they started with people who just got together and kept talking about it, kept pushing for it, kept bringing it up and going and showing up for, you know, city hall meetings. Some of them are really mundane and boring, but you get your chance to stand up there and talk about what you care about. You can do that, too.
1: No, oh, that's, uh, that's, I mean, and the idea of those bus stops, that's a great idea, too. And Robin, I have also been having conversations about the possibility of doing stuff like that here, I think. Yeah. Aaron, do you have any thoughts on that? it was interesting about the fear portion
4: because when we were um, in front of historic sites and monuments for the masterpiece, which is this 100% eco-friendly, one of the um, gentlemen or uh, members of the committee asked us what if there's a huge storm, like hurricane force winds, that come in and take the mural or the masterpiece off the wall. And I was slightly shocked and and not really thinking about it, but my response was, if there's a hurricane, the last thing anyone's worrying about is moss on the wall. So I think we're okay, but it was, again, just based off of fear. Um, And so, yes, when you have both private and public trying to come together to, to produce something in that way. And then, yes, that's a brilliant way of creating a nest egg for people to produce public art, whether it's temporary or permanent. You know, it, it, it absolutely takes both of them. And I, I hope we're at a step that we're just almost
3: <laughs> there. I mean, not. I think all this is really valid.
1: And I mean, the purpose is not to be overly critical. But I mean, I think these are absolutely valid points. And I think it's, it's, it's pointless to tiptoe around the obvious. Um, that's my two cents. Why
4: do you think people are so fearful? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to think Actually, <laughs> I have been on the Historic Site and
1: Monument Commission for about five years now, and I would answer part of that is I think there's just an education that needs to happen. Um, one, of the, one of the, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but one of the fear-based things that I keep hearing is uh, the fear of putting up a mural because somebody may vandalize. The truth is that for low-flying airplanes. I mean, the truth is I think think that people don't understand. uh, Actually, putting a mural up decreases vandalism, doesn't increase vandalism. And so there's just I think part of it is is it's just a learning curve, and and people understanding what public art is, what it can do. And I think that uh, that's part been part of what I wanted these talks to do is to sort of expand the definition of public art into performance, into like all these other things. And I think that there's probably a learning curve. And I, I want to be kind and say that I think there's just partly just ignorance. Um, and I don't mean that in an insulting way. I just think that, you know, like the vandalism thing. I, I hear that so many times. And that actually was w- the same thing that happened with your Savannah Gardens project. What did people vandalize it? Well, anything can be vandalized. You don't not build a building because somebody may spray paint on it. I mean, that's just, it's sort of just saying why we can't do something rather than why we can do something.
3: Some of that fear could be based on like not everyone will like it or trying to get everyone all to agree on something. But I'd also like to offer a counterpoint to like we, we endure an awful lot of advertising in our visual landscape, don't we? Giant billboards and advertising everywhere we look. We can also make our own things that we want to see in the world and we, we endure a lot of other advertising coming our way. So we can also make art and, and celebrate beauty and tell stories and remember things and help create work that helps us process our history and better know each other, create spaces for empathy and compassion, like we can make those things through public art in our own way.
2: I think it's also, to some extent, selective fear. The city does not seem to be fearful of yet another hotel. <laughs> okay, you're gonna get me control. Well, I think it's a fair
1: point, I think it's a fair point.
2: You know, because as, uh, as the, uh, the question was, Savannah is such a beautiful city, you know, and it draws people here um, because of the, uh, the squares and the moss and the trees. And that's what made me decide, you know, I should buy a building here. Um, but at the same time, if, if part of that uh, fear is, you know, public art could disrupt that, could somehow interfere with that historic character. Another hotel, yet another one is doing the exact same thing. So I, I think it's it's not it's just work. ignorance, it's selective fear. And so strategically speaking, we need
1: to know how to target the fear that is standing in our way. I would also add that raising our voices, like so like Stephanie said, raising our voices, being here, being present, and also, you know, saying something, being supportive in a physical way, like being here. Supporting various uh, proposals, funding mechanisms, etc., is helpful. <laughs> Thank you, guys, all for coming out. Really appreciate it. Thank you all.
0: That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Art on the Air with your host Rob Hessler. Listen every Wednesday for our live show. Broadcasting from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on 107.5 FM, Savannah Soundings, and worldwide at WRUU.org. And you can catch past episodes on the WRUU Station Archives on our website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll talk to you next week, where we'll have another batch of art on the air.